It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to episode 25 of the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I'm joined by Matt Collins of BP Boston and Over the Monster. Matt, uh, the Red Sox have clinched a playoff spot, so uh, this is this is a market improvement from the last time we spoke together. Yeah, um, this is pretty awesome. The last few weeks have been um, so much fun. Yeah, a lot of catharsis uh, after the, uh, the the two seasons that happened before this one. Uh, we can't claim to be a long-suffering fan base anymore because, you know, just three years ago, the World Series was won by this team. But I'm, I'm still going to claim that just because. Yeah, you know, when when you when you're following it for 162 every year, uh, one year of bad baseball feels like you're long-suffering. So. Um, yeah, it's just awesome. So we're we're pumped about that. We're going to be talking about that a bunch on the podcast. Some implications about that. Um, you can follow Matt Collins uh, on Twitter at Red Sox underscore Thoughts if you want to uh, catch up on uh, everything that he thinks about the Red Sox. And uh, I recommend him as a good follow. Um, so before we get into the Red Sox, though, I want to uh, just take a little bit of time to remember Jose Fernandez who passed away. Um, a couple days ago, and hearing about that yesterday was, or it was just uh, terrible seeing that news in the morning. Um, it's weird to be so broken up about it as I was, um, considering it's not somebody I know personally, not even a Red Sox player, but um, just really one of my favorite players to watch uh, in all of baseball. And uh, the thing that just keeps being said about Jose is how much joy he played the game with. And that was so apparent uh, every time you watched him. So um, listeners to this podcast know I've dreamed of him being in a Red Sox uniform for a long time. And, you know, unfortunately we'll never get to see that or see him throw another pitch again. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that tragedy as well. Yeah. um, It's like you said, it, it really, it really is hitting hard with me and I'm still kind of, I don't know if I would say I don't believe it or I'm in shock, but, uh, yeah, it's, I don't really usually get affected by celebrity deaths. And, um, I mean, I know we've had a lot of them this year and I mean, it's obviously sad, but this one just, I really felt it. It's been kind of dragging me down for a couple of days. Um, and like you said, just, I mean, beyond what he was as a talent, um, just the joy on the field, um, 
kind of brings you back to when you're a kid and you're playing and there's just no cynicism while you're playing the game. You're just out there having fun. And that's what he was as a professional. Um, I'm not really sure there's anybody else like him in the game. And um, there were a few pieces about that that I read yesterday. I mean, I read a lot and uh, I wanted to single out a few. Um, First of all, Dan Levitard um, wrote something in the Miami Herald that I would say is pretty far and away um, the best thing I read about him. Um, that was mostly, my favorite, too. Yeah, about um, his effect on Cuban-Americans and South Florida in general and just the inspirational story. Um, so if, you were, if you're going to read one thing about Jose Fernandez, I'd say go read that at the Miami Herald. And I think ESPN posted it on their site, too. Um, and also, Grant Brisby uh, wrote something on SB Nation called Jose Fernandez's Pure Joy. Um, that was pretty great. And Michael Bauman at The Ringer uh, wrote, Jose Fernandez was the future of baseball in America. And uh, that was that one really affected me, too. So um, there was a lot of great stuff out there um, about Fernandez and what he was as a person, what he meant to the sport and the culture and uh, those three were the three that stood out for me. Yeah, those were those were all really powerful pieces, and they'll there are even more out there that are worth checking out. I think Dave Cameron did a good job um, in his piece, as well as uh, our own Marco Rubio um, or Mauricio. Mauricio Marco. I got the debates on my mind. Um, uh, Mauricio Rubio on uh, BP did a really good job as well. So. Um, Lots of things to remember him, but I think um, the biggest takeaway that um, I got from all of these pieces is that there's this overwhelming suggestion um, going forward to honor the player that most exhibits uh, his joy with some type of award named after him, a Jose Fernandez-style award for bringing joy to the game of baseball. And uh, I think that idea is really catching on amongst a lot of writers, and hopefully that's something... Something does come of that because um, he was so special in that regard that I think that's a that's an award that would be um, really great for the game in in general. Yeah, I I actually hadn't heard that before, but um, that I do like that idea. Yeah, well, either way, game lost just a uh, a massive talent and a special person. So, all right, on to the happy news. Um, the Red Sox have a 11-game winning streak right now, which is the best winning streak they've had all season. And, um, you know, I'm not a huge stat guy, so I don't know um, how long this is, you know, when there's been a better one than this. But this is uh, this is pretty awesome right now. They've seemingly won in every single type of game that they could possibly win in. Um the number, their magic number for clinching the division is all the way down to two right now. Um, so we will be rooting against the uh, Toronto Blue Jays to get that magic number down to one tonight. Um, and they're currently tied for the number one seed in the playoffs with the Rangers. The Rangers do own the tiebreaker there. So if it ended today, the Rangers would still be the one seed. Um, and like we mentioned, they've clinched a playoff berth. And a lot of this has come on the back of... Um, a really torrid, ridiculously impressive September where the Red Sox have gone 18 and five. Um, and, um, you know, everything seems to be clicking. Uh, yesterday's game was just one of the most incredible games that, uh, I've seen in a while. Um, from the weird Pedroia dance on the Ortiz single to score where, um, the catcher dropped the ball while trying to tag Pedroia and he was able to, step on the bag standing up like wasn't that one of the weirdest things that you've seen in a game all season yeah i um i was at work all day yesterday and i got home and i turned on the tv and that was literally the first play of the game i saw and um i still don't really understand what happened um i don't it doesn't seem possible that he was safe and he kind of <laughs> they, they kind of should have just called him out because it was such a ridiculous idea to send him in the first place but I, I mean, he somehow got around it. it. Still doesn't make sense physically how he's able to do that. But um, yeah, yeah, that was one of the weirdest plays I've ever seen. He was, um, he was gonna be out by like ten feet. It wasn't but, even remotely close. And if he slid, he was gonna be out, no problem. 
the second baseman had the ball when he was at third, <laughs> when Pedroia was at third, and they still sent him. I I don't understand. Yeah, he had no right being uh being called safe there, and it even did look like he tagged him, but just well because... he tagged him, but then he dropped it. Right. Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a weird rule, kinda. You know, um, it it just seems seems to me like if I was the Rays, I would feel like as long as you got the tag in, like that should be enough. Well, so usually you're not tagging like at that angle when the player's moving backwards towards the plate. So usually when that hap- when you drop the ball, it's because of the contact. And but I mean that was just so weird. I don't know if he barely had the ball in his glove because. I mean, he didn't tag him hard. He just like grazed his inner thigh, and the ball popped out. I don't know. I it's it was so bizarre. Yeah, it was a really weird play, um, and it was strange that the game even came down to that play. It was the tenth inning when that happened, but um, the pitching was just silly yesterday. Um, the the Red Sox struck out uh, a team record twenty one batters uh, in the first nine innings, um, which would have been an MLB record had the game not gone to extras. Um, they did end up striking out 23 total batters in 10 innings and sent down 11 in a row by way of the K, which was an MLB record that they did count. Um, so the pitching was incredible and really kind of shocking that Tampa Bay was able to muster two runs with that many guys striking out. Yeah. Um, like I said, I didn't see the game, but, um, I saw Rodriguez's pitch count. So obviously it wasn't the most efficient. Uh, kind of game with those that many strikeouts, but the Rays are kind of a weird team where they strike out all the time, and um, they can still muster a few runs here and there. So I'll say that the biggest takeaway I had was that that pretty much solidified Rodriguez's spot as the number three starter heading into the postseason. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, topic and one that we debated on the show last week, and I think when we did talk about it, it was coming off of bad starts by Eddie and Clay. And at the time, I was thinking to myself, you know, Pomerantz is probably still the guy here because he's been the better guy for the full season. But, you know, as of late, especially when you factor in this last start from both Clay Buckholtz and Eddie, um, the numbers do definitely support Pomerantz being the odd man out of the rotation come the playoff time. Um, Over the last 30 days, 23 innings pitched for Drew Pomerantz. He's got a 5.87 ERA. He's still striking some guys out, but he is walking a few extra than he had earlier in the season. Um, Clay Buckholtz, 25 innings pitched, 4.21 ERA. Uh, and Eddie uh, is the best of the bunch with 33 innings pitched um, and a 3.78 ERA over that time. So um, punctuating yesterday's performance, I definitely agree that Eduardo Rodriguez deserves to be in the rotation, and I'm I'm pretty sure I'm right there with you that Buckholtz deserves that last spot. But can you make an argument for why Drew Pomerantz ought to have that spot over Buckholtz, or vice versa? Um, so I think the argument for Pomerantz is that the upside is so much higher. Um, even when Buckholtz has been at his best this year, um, he has most of those starts haven't really been like dominating strikeout performances. He had one against Tampa last month where he struck out nine. Uh, but most of his great starts have been like two strikeouts, three strikeouts, and kind of just relying on weak contact. And in the playoffs, you'd rather have that dominant guy. So Pomerantz definitely has that upside. We've seen that this year, um, both when he was in San Diego and then after he got traded to the Red Sox. Um, the argument for Buckles would be, I think, that Pomerantz is just wiped. Yeah. Uh, he kind of just looks tired, and those innings might be catching up to him. So I think the last spot is all about Pomerantz. Um, he can either pitch himself into it or pitch himself out of it in his last start. Um, and I know we talked a little bit before we started recording that there's also the the fact that Pomerantz has experience out of the bullpen, and he's a lefty. The Red Sox have been looking for that big lefty all year, and he can kind of serve that role. Um, so whatever they decide, I really don't think Buckholtz can do much to sway them. He's just kind of there. Um, but I think either way, you're looking at the potential of a bad start and having to go to a bullpen game. So Yeah, none of these guys look particularly uh, 
dominant. Even even as Buckholtz has pitched better as of late and Pomerantz has kind of slid backwards the other way, Buckholtz still has a few things that are really alarming. His K-minus uh, walks rate is 5.4%, which is amongst the worst marks in the league um, at the at that point. Um, Pomerantz's is still a fairly healthy 14.9%, but when you dig in a little bit deeper, um, people are teeing off on him over the last 30 days at a 280 batting average. So um, that ball looks like a grapefruit coming out of his hand to the batters currently. It's not. It's not great. Yeah, the home run. The home run issue is real with him. Um, I mean, since coming to the Red Sox, he's had one start where he didn't give up a home run, um, and he has the talent to make that work. Um, if he's pitching well, then those home runs are probably going to be solo home runs, and he'll give up one or two runs, and that's fine, obviously. But um, when he's not really getting the strikeouts and he's putting more balls in play that home run's probably more likely to be a three-run home run and just blow the game open. So um, I'm interested to see how he looks in his next start. And if he looks – if he doesn't have that same crisp stuff, then I don't think I don't think you could put him in the rotation. Yeah, it, it'll definitely come down to the wire, these, these last few decisions. And there, we've got six games left in the season, three more against New York at New York, and then three at home versus Toronto to close out the year. So things are still up in the air with seeding, and I think things are still up in the air with finalizing the 25-man roster. Um, but first, I want to talk about the seeding before we get into what we're what we're thinking is the best for the team in terms of the 25-man. Um, as I mentioned, they are tied for first with the Rangers right now. Uh, I think they're a game and a half clear of the Indians at this point um, for the two seed. But you know, from talking to you pre-show, um, there are some benefits to the Red Sox not chasing down that one seed and not ending up with that. So can you talk about that a little bit, Matt? Yeah, so um, it's kind of twofold. Um, first of all, obviously the uh, top seed plays the wild card winner, and right now it's looking like Toronto might be that team. And, I mean, obviously you can't count on anybody winning a one-game scenario. Anything can happen, but Toronto's might be the second-best team in the American League, if you say the Red Sox are the best. Um, I think they are. Yeah, they're a really scary team, so having to play them in the first round would obviously kind of suck. And then um, there's also, if you got the two seed, you'd be playing Cleveland, and they look a lot worse than they did a few weeks ago. Um, they lost, they've lost Salazar and Carrasco, which is two huge parts of their team. They're kind of built around the rotation, and now two-thirds of their three-headed monster are hurt. So um, I don't think there's any doubt that I'd rather play Cleveland. Um, on the other hand, I don't think you try to lose games. I mean, I just feel like that's that's just a mistake. You don't want to lose momentum. Um, even if, I don't know. People don't really believe in momentum, but I kind of do, and I kind of feel like they're on a roll right now, and you don't worry about seeding. You just play as well as you can, and then you play who you play in the playoffs. Um, if you're going to win a World Series, you're going to beat the best teams. So whether you play them in the first round, second round, whatever, uh, you're going to have to get by them eventually. And also, even if they do play Toronto, Toronto just had to play an extra game, and their number one gets start, their number one starter gets pushed back a game or two. Um, so there's a definite advantage to having to play a wild card team. So. I'd rather play Cleveland, but I don't think it's a huge deal if they get the number one seed and end up having to play Toronto. Plus, there's a chance they have to play Baltimore or Seattle or something, and then it looks great. Yeah, I mean, and the whole thing is that Toronto hasn't been playing great baseball as of late, anyhow. Yeah. You know, they've they've been getting by and especially doing doing better in the last week or so, um, but they haven't been dominant, and even since. Um, Cleveland's gone down with these two injuries. Um, they're still 14 and nine in the month of September, so they've been playing pretty good baseball uh, in their own right. So I think it's pretty clear, and I don't know if anybody would really argue too much in in the other direction that the Red Sox are in the best position right now out of all the teams in the American League heading into the uh, final week of the season. So whoever they play, I think um, Red Sox fans will feel pretty confident about whatever matchup it is. Obviously, you know, 
like you said, I agree with you. Toronto is going to be the scariest, but you know, not not all that different. These three teams from each other. No. Talking about they're all, they're all good. I mean, it's the playoffs. Yeah. You're going to play a good team. There's no avoiding it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it'll be interesting. But um, as far as the 25 man roster goes, um, there are a lot of decisions to be made. So um, we both tried to formulate what we thought were our best options for a 25-man uh, roster. Um, we shared the same one through nine, obviously, Pedroia, Bogarts, Ortiz, Betts, Ramirez, Shaw, Bradley, Leon, uh, Benintendi. Um, we had three out of the four same bench guys with Brock Holt, Chris Young, and Aaron Hill. Um, we differentiated on the catcher, though. We had... I had Vasquez as the backup catcher, and you had Brian Holiday. Um, and that's really going to come down to whether or not the Sox have Pomerantz in the rotation or if they don't have Pomerantz in the rotation, right? I think so. Um, I mean, I think if Pomerantz is in the rotation, then Holiday's almost definitely the guy. Um, if he's not, it's a little closer. Uh, I'm still not positive that it would be Vasquez. Uh, he hasn't – I mean, he's played one game, right? Or right. he started one game. So we'll see how they use him in this last week. And if they use him a little more, then that would be a signal to me that they're probably going to take him. But there's still the fact that he can't really hit. And I know Brian Holiday can't either, but um, I might have more faith in Holiday at the plate than Vasquez right now, which, I mean, it's picking between two pretty awful guys. So Yeah, if either are at the plate, we're pretty much screwed, right? Yeah, I mean, unless, I mean, if Holiday is the personal catcher for Pomerantz, then he's going to have to hit. But, I mean, it's one spot in the lineup, and it's catcher, so nobody can hit a catcher. But, um, ultimately, I don't think this is a huge deal either way. They're yeah, both, like, very minor players, so. <laughs> probably not going to be getting meaningful at bats. They'll, they'll be, I, uh... I would hope not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the reason why I opted for Vasquez is just because I think with his, uh, Slightly better defense. He gives you a few more options late in the game. Um, I think if you're going to pinch hit, he's a good pinch hit for you know a catcher like Sandy Leon. You know that's possibility to bring him in um, as a defensive replacement. So I still like his arm and I like some yeah, of the I things mean, I see from him. Yeah, I have I have no problem with him on defense. He's obviously great back there, and I can definitely see that as a reason uh, to keep him. So as the rotation shakes out right now, um, Price is going to be pitching tomorrow, which would also have him pitching the last game of the season, um, which presumably lines up Rick Porcello to pitch game one of whatever playoff uh, series they're going to be playing in. Um, so after Price and Porcello... Well, I think I wanted to talk just for a minute about that game one. Sure. Um, yeah, you wrote about that I, this, yeah, this I'm, week. I'm utterly fascinated by this question. Um, I don't really have a strong opinion either way. I just think it's a fascinating discussion. Um, do you go with the? I mean, I think I don't think this is a controversial statement to say that Price is more talented than Porcello. No, Even yeah, Porcello's been better for sure. So, uh, do you go with the guy who's been better on the whole all year, or do you get, go with the guy who's more talented and has more upside and? I really don't know what I'd do. Like, it's a good problem to have, and either way, whoever doesn't go then is going in game two. But um, just symbolically, I think it's a really interesting question. Yeah, I think that if I was a betting man, I'd say there's an 85% chance that Farrell is going to lean towards Porcello, you know, the, the guy who is going to be at least a 22-game winner going into the playoffs and who's pitched to a two and a half ERA here in the second half of the season doesn't walk anybody seems to be in just complete control that game against the Orioles where he had the complete game in 89 pitches was it was it was amongst the best pitching performances I'd seen all year from anybody um so I think just based on how hot he is and I know the price has been hot in his own right but um it's just that he's a next-level type pitcher. And also, I think you got to factor in a little bit that this game is likely going to be at home for the Red Sox as well. Uh, and righties perform better at Fenway typically. So um, 
that would be the way that I would lean. But I can I can certainly see the argument for the statistical darling that David Price is, and you know he is the two hundred and ten million dollar pitcher that they paid for in the offseason. Yeah, I mean when you sign him, you sign him expecting to start him game one, um, but you also didn't expect Porcello to do this. Um, when I wrote about it, I ended up saying that I would probably go with Porcello, uh, but again, I wasn't very strong on that. I think Porcello has a higher floor, which when you have an offense that the Red Sox have, that's probably a better thing just to get off to a good start. And even if Porcello gives up like four runs in seven innings or whatever, um, the Red Sox are good enough to overcome that. And that's probably the worst case scenario. So I'd probably opt for the higher floor, but at the same time, if you're facing Corey Kluber in game one, you might want the higher ceiling because maybe the Red Sox can't score more than one run off him. So, right. I don't know. I keep going back and forth. <laughs> either way, like like I said to Ben last week, <laughs> either way, we're going to be really happy with whoever's out there, right? Oh, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a great problem to have. You have two great pitchers, and deciding who to start game one is... Um, it's a hard question, but I don't think it's super stressful because you're happy with the result either way. I think um, there, there there's a good aside here that we should probably take. Nick Canellis also wrote a piece about the Red Sox... Uh, playoff rotation and whether or not it was championship caliber. He wrote that piece today, actually. Um, and I just wanted to compare Price and Porcello a little bit to some of the other one-twos that have been on um, the other Red Sox World Series championship teams. So in 2004, it was Schilling and Martinez. Um, and in 2007, it was Beckett and Schilling. And in 2013, it was Lester and Lackey. But when you look at numbers like DRA and FIP and uh, WARP and all those different numbers, uh, these two in Price and Porcello this year might be the best one-two that the Red Sox have had since Schilling Martinez in 2004 if you go all the way down the line and compare all the numbers. It's it's a really good top two. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's definitely a strength. Um, I was going to say I don't think they're better than – Pedro and Schilling, that was yeah, that was that was like unbeatable. But yeah, I could see them being pretty similar to Lester and Lackey, for sure. Yeah, it's pretty comparable, especially when you look at uh, Baseball Prospectus WAR. Um, Schilling and Martinez were ridiculous by that regard, seven point five and six point three respectively. Um, Porcello and Price are four point eight and six point six. Um, and that total is better than what you get from either Beckett Schilling in 2007 uh, or from Lester Lackey in 2013. Um, so slightly better numbers there. Um, but either way, this has been the formula for the Red Sox when they've won championships. So it's good to see that, you know, that's that's still there and available for this run. Yeah, definitely. Um. So as far as the rest of the rotation does shake out, though, you're sold after this last week that it's 100% Rodriguez and probably Buckholtz um, going into the rotation. How do you think that Pomerantz is going to be able to make that transition to the bullpen? Do you think that's going to be seamless for him, and do you think that his stuff's going to play up with a little bit more rest out there? Um, I mean, I think that's the hope. Um, I don't know how that transition would be um it's kind of hard to know something like that without um really knowing how the guy is but he has kind of gone back and forth before and i'm sure he didn't like it but he kind of knows um how to make that change in the middle of the season so i think it's probably better suited for him than anybody else although we saw buckle do it this year too so scratch that but um as far as the stuff playing up I think it probably depends how often he has to go. I mean, if he has to go on back-to-back days and throw 20 pitches each day, um, he's probably gonna. That's probably gonna have the same kind of effect on his fatigue. Um, but if he's going like once and then he has two games off and then he goes again, yeah, I think we could see his stuff play up. Yeah, I think so too. But one of the things I want to mention is that in 2015, where he did pitch most of his. Uh, innings as a reliever he wasn't a particularly dominant left-handed reliever in that 
throughout that year. I mean, he was dominant versus lefties, which is great, which is what you want to see. Lefties batted just 146 off him that season, um, but righties did bat 255 off him. So he wasn't um, overpowering like he is now. I think he's probably a better pitcher overall than he was in 2015, so maybe those numbers would play up against righties as well. Um, but we're looking at a guy who will at the very least be able to get out lefties probably more effectively than anybody that the Red Sox currently have in their bullpen. Yeah, definitely. Um, he's. I think last time we talked, um, Rodriguez wasn't doing this, and I kind of mentioned that Rodriguez might be able to be that guy because mm-hmm. Pomerantz had obviously been outstanding at that point. But um, the same goes here. The Red Sox haven't really had a big-time lefty since Andrew Miller left, and even if this isn't Pomerantz's long-term role, um, he could step up and be that guy in the playoffs, and that could be huge. So as we look towards the pen, um, we have a lot of things that are finalized and a lot of things that aren't. Um, the, the way that I have the pen shaking out is as follows. I've got Craig Kimbrell, Koji Uihara, Brad Ziegler as the clear top three. Then I have Pomerantz in the pen, uh, Matt Barnes, Joe Kelly, um, Robbie Ross, and Heath Hembry taking that last spot. Um, my toughest cut was definitely um, Scott cutting him from the bullpen. Robbie Scott was uh, very tough to do, but with the addition of Drew Pomerantz, I think that that's probably the best bullpen and the most versatile bullpen for the playoffs. So um, I wanted to get your thoughts on that, if you'd make any changes. Wait, say your... So I, How many I, did you have? I had Kimbrel, Uihara, Ziegler, Pomerantz, Barnes, Kelly, Ross, Hembry. Oh, Hembry, okay. Um, I didn't hear that part. So I think I have the exact same. Um, the The last spot is kind of up for grabs. Um, typically, teams carry 11 pitchers in the playoffs and carry five guys on their bench. Um, the Red Sox probably don't need that fifth guy on their bench um, because they don't really use their bench that much. Um, but there is something to be said about Marco Hernandez possibly pinch hitting for Ortiz. Um, Hernandez isn't actually isn't exactly a burner, but he's more likely to score from first on a double or even from second on a base hit. So they might want to carry him just for that purpose. Um, but I think that spot would probably be better used for another pitcher. Um, especially a guy like Hembry, um, like we were talking about, Buckholtz isn't exactly a sure bet to go more than just a few innings. So Hembry can be that guy to come in and throw three scoreless innings out of the bullpen, and they can still use Pomerantz in that uh, kind of loogie role. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you talked about Robbie Scott. I think if Pomerantz does end up being great in his next start and makes the rotation, then I'd put Scott in there over Hembry to be that left-handed guy. Um, so ultimately I think I agree with you that it's Hembry, but I think there's a solid argument for Hernandez and depending on how the rotation shakes out, Robbie Scott could be, could replace Hembry. Yeah. The the last spot of this 25 man roster is going to be painful, um, for, for somebody, somebody that's going to be left off because, if any of those three of Hembry or Robbie Scott or Marco Hernandez are left off, there's a great argument to be made for any of them uh, being on the roster over somebody else. And I think the reason why I have to have Hembry on this roster is because he's absolutely killed right-handers all season long. Uh, and after over the last 30 days, you know, he was sent down for a little bit and he got a little bit of extra rest. He's come back and he's been... Uh, one of, if not the most effective reliever for the Red Sox over that period of time. The guy's got a 148 batting average against over that period, um, and he's got a 225 ERA with a .88 whip over that span. Um, While well, he's just striking out everybody, he's got a 26.7% K minus walk rate over that time, uh, which is it's it's Joe Kelly esque, uh, and Joe <laughs> Kelly's been very good over the last few weeks as well. So it's it's going to be tough to leave him off, but when you look at what Robbie Scott's done over the seven or so innings that he's appeared, um, 
it's hard to find a fault with him either. Um, if you're looking at guys to cut over the, the last 30 days, I think that, you know, I mentioned it to you off air, Matt Barnes and Robbie Ross have had a little bit of a tougher go of it, but I think those guys are safe enough with what they've been able to do uh, over the course of the whole season. So it's going to be a tough cut anyway, any way you look at it. Yeah, um, I'm a little higher on Robbie Ross than you. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty big Robbie Ross fan. Um, even if he hasn't been the same. But I think, like I said, Hembry, I've kind of been shocked by how well Hembry does in these multi-inning stints. I don't think he's gotten enough credit for that this year. Um, That wasn't really his MO coming into the season, but he's been pretty outstanding in these long relief stints. And that can be a valuable thing because everybody has a shorter leaf in the a shorter leash in the playoffs and especially a guy like Buckles if he looks bad in the second inning if Hembry's in the bullpen Farrell won't be scared to pull Buckles that early and just say Heath go give me three scoreless innings and then you have a couple games off uh, and, and who else in in the pen can you say that about I mean maybe you, you can use Pomerantz like that if yeah, it would be Pomerantz, in that situation a, you can make the him. argument for Kelly too that you could throw him multiple yeah. innings. Yeah, you could. Um, I don't know. I don't have his game log in front of me. I don't know if he's done that lately or if he's just been kind of doing one innings. But uh, I don't have I, that in front of me either. But the the other noticeable thing about Hembry and one of the reasons why I think he's been effective in that multi-inning role, like you mentioned, that's not been his MO in the past, is his pitch mix is different this year. Uh, he's added a curveball that he throws about 11% of the time this season, um, which he never threw before. He was Before that, he was basically a fastball slider guy all through his career. And I think adding that third pitch has allowed him to go a little bit deeper into games. Yeah, that's interesting. It makes sense because, um, I mean, he's been going through the order multiple times. Um, so that does make sense. And like I said, it comes down to the rotation for me. If Pomerantz is in the bullpen, then they don't really need that other lefty. And I don't really think they need Margo Hernandez, so that leaves Hembry as the last man standing. Yeah, I, I don't know what uh, Marco Hernandez really adds for you that you can't find in Holt or Young or Hill. So I think it would just be that you would rather not waste Holt as a pinch runner. Right. And I don't think Aaron Hill can really be that guy. But Young can be a pinch runner, though. Yeah, but I think you'd rather use him as a pinch hitter. Um, right. If there's a lefty on the mound uh, in the, late in the game, uh, that's Young's ideal role. Well, anyhow, any any way that this works out, the Red Sox are going to have a really impressive roster from you know lineup to to defense to pitching. Um, Everything's working out, and the fact that we're agonizing over who's going to be the bullpen arm that's cut um, yeah. at this point is is impressive in its own right. That we're not saying, all right, these are the four guys that are are good, and you know these these other four. It's a you know, let's just hope when they get in the game. The fact that we have you know, eight effective pitchers uh, to think about throwing out there is is awesome. Yeah, definitely, especially when you think about where they were. A month ago and how bad this bullpen looks yeah absolutely so um as we head into this last week of the season um the pageantry um with david ortiz is going to be absolutely off the chain um, with how much he's going to be honored uh first at yankee stadium and then at fenway which i'm sure is going to be just a multi-day celebration to all things david ortiz um, so I wanted to talk about Ortiz a little bit, talk about some of our favorite moments about his career and things that he's done, and also give some stats about David Ortiz. So I guess I'll start off with the stats about what he's been doing this year um, that are really just pretty incredible for somebody who is age 40. We already know that he's broken the record for most home runs in a final season of any player, most RBIs in a final season. But when we dig a little deeper, um, he really is one of the best baseball players playing this year and one of the best hitters. 
Um, by true average, um, which is a BP stat, um, he's got a 320 true average, which is sixth best of his entire career. Um, a 3.9 um, baseball prospectus war, which is fifth best of his career if the season ends today. Um, second best slugging percentage of his entire career, which is second only to his 2006 season where he hit 54 home runs um, and was and became the all-time Red Sox uh, home run single season leader. Um, and he's 12th overall in true average um, in all of baseball with minimum of 400 plate appearances for the season. So we're talking about a guy who's 40 years old um, as one of the top 12 hitters in the entire game, which is crazy to me. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of surreal. I mean, I can't really put it into words. It uh, doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah, it's incredible. And when you factor in that with – what he's been able to do over his career in the postseason, um, 455 batting average in the World Series with a 576 OBP. Uh, he actually batted 688 in the 2013 World Series. Um, this guy has really just done done things that uh, are borderline impossible over the course of his career and done them over and over again. Um so with that, I mean, what are some of your best Ortiz memories from the course of your time watching him? Um, so I think the number one memory is honestly the um, speech after the marathon bombing. Um, I remember I was in college at the time, and I was between classes. So I was sitting in uh, kind of outside one of the um, – dining halls i was just lying on a couch watching it on my phone and i had this like weird mixture of tearing up and also had a huge smile on my face and i just remember kind of looking around and there were a bunch of people standing around just kind of staring at me they had <laughs> no idea what i was watching but um, that was just that was nobody could have done that kind of speech without ortiz um or like Ortiz and um, them not, not them not bleeping him out and standing by that decision um, was just so perfect for the moment. Um, for everything he's done on the field, that's in 20 years, that's the thing that's going to stick out the most to me. That's got to be the most famous F-bomb in Boston history, right? Uh, probably. I can't think of another one off the top of my head. You know, I had a teacher in college that, would tell me from time to time that um, it's okay in a good, you know, English paper that you're writing, especially if you're writing a narrative, to put in a well-placed expletive. And there's probably no better well-placed expletive in Boston history than that F-bomb. So, um, you know, maybe maybe Ortiz has a little bit of a future here as a, a politician or a rabble rouser or something like that, man. He he crushed it with that speech. I agree with you. That's one of the best moments, um, really, in Boston sports history. I think, especially considering what the city had been through at, at that particular time. So maybe above all of his on-field things. For me, um, the one memory I always go back to is one of his on-field exploits, and uh, a lot of people think of. Game four in 04 when he had the walk-off home run in the 12th inning. But for me, the memory that's even more um, strong than that is his game five walk-off bloop single in the 14th inning. Because at that point, coming off of the walk-off home run the night before, you just didn't think that it was possible for it to happen again. And you can also buy into the narrative of, you know, great Boston slugger hits home run to win game in in game four and it's a little bit cliche but what he did coming up willing that ball over the head of the second baseman into center field and having damon score it just it kind of personified ortiz like he was going to get the job done and he was going to drive in that run no matter what it took if it was something that was just you know, just basically fighting that ball off and willing it to drop into into the field. It just was the biggest thing to me, um, and that's 
that's what I will always remember him for is a bloop single, which is kind of weird um, considering how many home runs he's hit over the course of his career. Uh, yeah, um, but I, I would agree with you that that, that kind of felt different than the home run. Because um, you see teams go down 3-0, and then they'll win game four and then lose game five, and it's just a gentleman's sweep. But after after you win game five and you're going back to New York, and that at that point it felt like they actually had a chance. Um, for as great as that home run was in game four, it still didn't really feel like they were going to win, or they had any chance of sniffing a win in that series. So, um, the home run is kind of more iconic just because it's a home run. Right. But, um, in terms of importance and just how, how big it felt, I think you're right that that single was probably bigger. And then, uh, the other memory that I think both of us have in our top three is, the game to 2013 ALCS uh, game tying grand slam off Joaquin Benoit, who he again victimized this year in a much less important uh, fashion, but still pretty cool to victimize that guy twice. Yeah, and obviously uh, the cop, I forget his name, but I had a picture with that guy on my phone. Me and my brother I, standing with I him think outside he of that, Fenway. Yeah. <laughs> That's still uh, that picture of him. With Tory Hunter flipped over is my lock screen still to this day. <laughs> it's that's amazing. Been my, that's been my lock screen since the day after it happened. Yeah, it's incredible. Best game two ever, right? I mean, oh. like, think about game twos. They're never memorable, but that one was huge. That whole series was just unbelievable. They should not have won that series. The Tigers are probably a better team, but, man, they just kept coming back. Yeah, hopefully um, the Red Sox don't have any Tigers bullpen issues this year. <laughs> It's Dombrowski, Dombrowski, who knows? Yeah, Dombrowski's Bane, the bullpen. Um, just one more moment. I told you this off the air. Um, there was a quote from David Ortiz broke uh, Ted Williams. I think it was his extra base hit record or something like that for a postseason for a Red Sox record, and he was asked about it after a game in 2013. And all he said was, God bless me. And <laughs> That is just the most David Ortiz thing to say ever. And um, he's had a lot of great quotes, but that's the one. That's the one I'll always that'll always stick with me. Just God bless me. <laughs> that is an awesome David Ortiz quote. You have to love that. The guy was uh, wasn't is the best, and it would be unbelievably fitting um, for him to have yet another epic playoff performance and propel this team to a World Series. So I will actively knock on wood as I say that um, in hopes of not jinxing anything. But um, it's just really special that he's even going to get a crack at the postseason this year uh, in his final season because nobody deserves it more than uh, really the king of the postseason over the last 20 years. He's, uh, he's this generation's... Reggie Jackson, for sure. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It still hasn't really even hit me that this is it. Like, there's only a few more weeks left of David Ortiz. I'm refusing to drop him in my long-term Dynasty League because I keep thinking he's going to, like, turn heel and come back and, you know, play next season. Yeah, keep him keep him on the in your last roster spot for, like, the next five years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I have to. <laughs> Just out of respect for the guy. Um, so... One more topic I wanted to touch on before we um, head into talking about matchups um, and, and kind of closing out the show is um, kind of where we rank Ortiz amongst the, the pantheon of Red Sox greats because the Red Sox have had just so many good players over the course of their history, um, you know, guys that come to mind, Ted Williams, Carl Yastrzemski, Wade Boggs. Bobby Dewar, you know, guys that go all the way back, Pedro Martinez, Roger Clemens, um, having been an organization for so long, there's just so many guys and that everybody knows the retired numbers and how they've affected the city and, and all of that. But I wanted to get where you would rank Ortiz amongst all those great players and maybe, maybe give me your top five players of all time in Red Sox history. And not necessarily by numbers, because I don't think this is this is the type of thing that you rank by numbers, because um, it, it's it's really who affected 
the city more and who was more who was more, most Red Sox out of out of all of these guys on the list? Um, so I had a little bit of trouble with this. Um, I mentioned this last time I was on that I'm not a big history guy. Um, so it's kind of hard for me to answer in terms of all time. I will say that I still think Ted Williams probably has to be number one, um, just because he's Ted Williams. Um, but in terms of my time watching the Red Sox, cause that's really the thing I can most, most talk about. Um, I would probably put Ortiz number two. Um, I don't know how it's possible to top Pedro. Um, Pedro was at his height when I was starting to watch baseball, and um, there's really no comparison to a Pedro start. Um, just I never even got to see one live, but just watching it on TV was even more electric than um, a big home run from David Ortiz. So I don't quite think Ortiz got that high, but I would put him right after Pedro. Um and the only other guy I can really think of that would compete with him would be Manny. And that's kind of fitting because of they they were back-to-back in the lineup for so long. Um, I think if we were going purely on talent, I would say that Manny was the better hitter at their peaks. Um, but just in terms of Boston and being – a Red Sox, I think Ortiz is definitely ahead of Manny. Um, so I don't know about top five, but th- those would be my top three in recent history. It's hard to argue against Pedro Martinez uh, because he is my favorite player of all time. Um, and the mark that he left on the city, you know, being part of that 2004 team that did finally break the curse and the seasons that he had in 1999 and 2000, which were without argument, the two best single seasons in baseball history by a pitcher, um, make him, you know, a a fabric of Red Sox history. And I completely agree with you that he is, uh, he's in that conversation. But I think that when you look at sort of uh, how long some of these guys have played here and, and guys that have just won the Red Sox uniform, I can't quite have them break into my top three. Um, the way that I would have it right now, uh, and it is a little bit controversial, I would have David Ortiz number one out of all Red Sox. And he played 14 years, uh, 1,947 games with the Red Sox. Um, so not as long as some of the other guys on this list. But he's got three rings. And uh, nobody else on this list can say that they have three um, Pedro's the only one in my top five who does have a ring out of these guys with the Red Sox. Um, and that matters. He, he got the team over the hump. Uh, and not only did he do that, he carried the team um, during the playoffs for uh, every single one of those deep playoff runs that the Red Sox had that ended up in a championship. So to me, uh, he might not have the longevity, but 14 years and three rings is better than – 23 years and no rings, which is what the next guy on my list has, Carl Yastrzemski. Uh, played 3,308 games with the Sox. Um, he is probably the most Red Sox player of all time. You know, just never wore another uniform, played for 23 years, played two positions really well, uh, left field and first base. I didn't get a chance to watch him, but, you know, just respecting history, I have him second. I've got Teddy Ballgame third. Um, played 19 years with the Sox. I have Pedro fourth uh, and Roger Clemens coming in in the fifth spot. Uh, I I give the nod to Pedro even though he pitched less time because he won the ring uh, and he was better than Clemens ever was. So. Yeah, that's all fair. Yeah, I mean we're we're splitting hairs here, but uh, gotta 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 go with your gut on this one. So we both definitely did. So. Either way, uh, we're going to really regret, uh, or regret's the wrong word, miss David Ortiz when he's gone. I was going to say regret not having him here, but, um, you know, the time has been put in, and hopefully it ends with one more ring. So um, let's get into the matchups for next week. Um, We've got 
the Red Sox closing out their road series at uh, road games for the season at New York. Uh, David Price versus Sessa, Buckholtz versus Mitchell, Pomerantz versus Sabathia. Um, and then finally, they're going to come home for the uh, last three games of the season. Honor David Ortiz there. And we've got Rick Porcello versus Estrada, Eddie versus J.A. Happ, and Price versus Sanchez in what should be a pretty uh, competitive uh, final season of the year. And maybe the Red Sox will have wrapped up the division already by that time and they can rest some guys, which is sort of the hope that this series becomes unimportant. But any of those matchups really stand out to you, Matt? Um, honestly, I'm not sold that it's going to stay like this. Um, I I'm think not either. I think if they clinch, then there's a pretty decent chance you see Henry Owens get a start or something like that. Or they just go with a bullpen game and just use the guys who probably aren't going to pitch in the playoffs. But um, So I think what I'm more looking forward to is how what do they do at Yankee Stadium for Ortiz and how many home runs is he going to hit? He has to hit at least one in his last series at Yankee Stadium. Oh, yeah. Um, and then just what they do at Fenway for Ortiz. Um, I feel like, I mean, they should, barring any disaster, they're going to win the division. So for me, this week is just all about Ortiz. Yeah, I agree. It's the haze in the barn, so to speak. And it's, uh, the, the, the pedal will be on the metal until the, the division is clinched because that is so important this day and age. And I think the Red Sox really want that to happen. So, I expect that to happen in the next few days, and hopefully that can be done as early as Tuesday. Um, but after that, you're right, it is going to be all about Ortiz. And I wanted to ask you real quick before we uh, sign off here, was there a favorite gift that you saw Ortiz get over the course of his stadium tour? Because really every place he's been to has given him something. Um, I mean, I think the dugout phone was pretty incredible. Um, he was pissed about that, though, kind of. Yeah, I kind of don't blame him, but at the same time, I mean, he's got to own up to that. It happened. Yeah. Um, it is super weird that they kept that phone for so long. I don't really understand why they did that, but they did, and I thought that was uh, that was funny. And also the fact that their, um, their video to honor him was just home runs against the Yankees. That, <laughs> yeah. that was pretty great. And then Joe Girardi got pissed about that, which made it even better. So, um I think Baltimore has done the best so far. I'm, I kind of hope that the Yankees top it. The Yankees have to do something. I don't know what it's going to be, but they have to do something great. Yeah, the Yankees are going to do something really cool. I, I, I can just feel it. It's going to be awesome. But I think that you're right on with Baltimore having certainly the funniest uh, of of all the celebrations. But I think that in terms of meaningful gifts. Um, the coolest thing that was given to David Ortiz was in Seattle when they framed his first yeah, uh, was cool. contract. And I thought that was just crazy. Like, they just dug that piece of paper up. I don't even know, like, uh, where do you even find that thing? I think he was he signed it when he was, what, 16? Yeah, something like that. So it, just to have that hanging in your house is is pretty cool. I'm I'm sure he's not even had the time to reflect on you know, going from David Arias at 16 all the way to uh, future Hall of Famer, hopefully, where he ends up. But, you know, he's he's going to look at that for a while and, and think pretty deeply about it, I'm sure. So. And also, um, the Padres, um, the gift wasn't that great. It was like a surfboard or whatever. But the fact that Don Arcillo did that ceremony and it was on Nesson, um, yeah. that was pretty great. <laughs> yeah, I did like that. That was cool. That was really cool. Good to see, uh, good to see Don again, and uh, hopefully gave him a little bit of closure too, because he was pretty, uh, pretty hurt about the way things went down. As he should have been. Yeah, definitely. Um, so for uh, everybody tuning in, you can uh, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Uh, you can also do so on Stitcher. You can rate and review us on both places. And if you would like to ask us a question in the last few weeks uh, about you know anything about the playoff roster or anything like that. Uh, you can submit a question to us via a question box on BP Boston. Uh, click on any of the podcasts and you can do it there. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, you can follow Matt at Red Sox underscore thoughts. And you can follow me at at Dev Jake. 
Um, and uh, with that, we'll be with you next week for um, you know some talk about whatever playoff series is coming up. We'll know the opponent by then. And um, yeah, looking forward to the playoffs and uh, some success there. So thanks for joining me today, Matt. Really appreciate it. No problem. Talk to you later. All right. Have a good one, everybody.